all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC, and surgical pathologist Dr. Allie Brown. Today is an open topic day. You can call with your general questions about women's health, but the doctors will also talk about screening tests for women and why they're important. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464, or you can send an email to women at mpbonline.org. NPR News is coming up, and we'll be back right after that with Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lori London. House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi is speaking to reporters a day after former FBI Director James Comey testified to the Senate Intelligence Panel. She's questioning President Donald Trump's fitness for office. If you went to the White House and you were invited to the Oval Office with the President of the United States, the leader of the free world, and he told you what he hoped you would do. Anyone who doesn't think that that is an abuse of power maybe has never been in the Oval with the President of the United States. Pelosi says Trump's request for loyalty during conversations with the then head of the nation's independent law enforcement agency is beyond the pale. The European Union says it does not expect any delay in beginning negotiations for Britain to leave the bloc, despite yesterday's elections leaving the U.K. government in limbo. Terry Schultz reports Brexit talks are scheduled to begin in 10 days. While the U.K. election results are being widely interpreted as a backlash against Brexit, EU officials maintain the process must go on since Prime Minister Theresa May officially launched it in March. Now, even though the makeup of the British government remains to be seen, European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker says that's not relevant to the two-year timetable for talks on the future EU-UK relationship. As far as the Commission is concerned, we can open negotiations tomorrow morning at half past nine. So we are waiting for visitors coming from London. Extending the period for negotiations would require the unanimous consent of the other 27 EU governments. And since none wanted Britain to leave, they're not in a generous mood. For NPR News, I'm Terry Schultz in Brussels. South Korea's top security advisor says his country will not change its plan to deploy a U.S. missile defense system. As Jihae Lee reports from Seoul, this comes after the South Korean president announced a full deployment of the system would be postponed. Security advisor Chang Yong's comments come days since the presidential office found that defense officials from the previous administration had left out reports on four additional launchers as part of the anti-missile battery. The presidential office said details were omitted deliberately to avoid further environmental assessments and ordered a temporary suspension 
action and deploying THAAD until all evaluations are complete. This comes as North Korea has been launching missiles every week since the new president took office last month, the fourth taking place yesterday. Its state media says yesterday's cruise missiles could strike U.S. and South Korean warships at will if it is attacked. For NPR News, I'm Jihae Lee in Seoul. On Wall Street, stocks hitting record highs as investors look past the U.K. election. The Dow up 103 points. This is NPR. In an effort to heal hundreds of women who were victims of sexual violence in South Sudan's civil war, are meeting in refugee camps. Many say their attackers were pro-government troops. The government has denied abuses. Well, the Nigerian government is criticizing calls by some groups in the north, demanding that people hailing from a tribe in the southeast should leave northern Nigeria. And Fabia Quist Arcton reports the acting president says such threats are illegal and will not be tolerated. A coalition of youth groups in northern Nigeria threatening Igbo people from the southeast living in the north to relocate within three months or expect problems prompted this warning from acting president Yemi Osimbanjo. Nigeria belongs to all of us. No one person or group of persons is more important or more entitled than the other in this space that we all call home. Osimbajo accepts there will be differences but says... What is not normal is employing grievances and frustrations as justification for indulging in discrimination or hate speech or hateful conduct of any kind. Or, warns the acting president, seeking to undermine by violent or other illegal means the very existence of Nigeria. Ophelia Quistockton, NPR News, Accra. British pop singer Phil Collins has postponed his London shows last night and tonight after tripping over a chair in the middle of the night in his hotel room. The 66-year-old suffers from walking problems after a back problem and the fall caused a severe gash on his head. This is NPR News. Support for NPR comes from ProQuest, partners with the USC Shoah Foundation to enable access to the Visual History Archive for helping students and researchers understand the impact of genocide through video interviews with survivors. Learn more at ProQuest.com. This is Southern Remedy for Women with Dr. Michelle Owens on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens and Dr. Allie Brown. And we are taking your questions, not not we, because I can't answer them. Dr. Owens and Dr. Brown will be answering your questions, general health questions. And I think your mics are on now. You can totally Hello. answer questions. Okay. okay. Absolutely. Let me get can. the phone number out. So general health questions, and then Dr. Owens and Dr. Brown will talk about some other things. But if you have a something that's been bugging you or you just have a question that's been nagging at you, now is the time to call 1-877-MPB-RING. 1-877-672-7464. Or you can also send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Good morning, doctors. Good morning. I'm so happy that my bestie is here today. 
It's been too long. We're all reunited. I, we, I love we you, Dr. Sing Owens. That, that Peaches and Herb song from like 19, the late 70s. Reunited. Oh, oh, and it feels so good. That's right. Re- this feels good. Okay. It's been two weeks that she's been out. I, I feel robbed of oh my, my lady. Oh, my goodness. I'm of my here. I'm back. And I'm back. You're I missed back. you guys. Absolutely. I, I missed, missed you too. Yeah. All so right. we're here. Great, great weather we're having, by the way. It's beautiful. It is absolutely it's beautiful, beautiful outside. Yeah. It's great. Not so humid, warm temperatures, yes. sunny skies. You know, after all that rain we had, it's very, very nice. However, my lawn, I don't think it can be mowed. I think I have to oh bring goats in. Yes. The goats will have to eat it down before I can mow it. Yeah, the guys were talking about that earlier on Fix It 101 this week, talking about how, you know, there'd been so much rain and um, how it was going to be difficult for them to... Um, to mow the lawn because there was so much grass. Exactly. Yeah, I was You're driving. such a fix-it 101 groupie. I, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm an MPB groupie. Thank goodness uh, I have a son who says, I'll mow it tomorrow. <laughs> Does then, he say that every day? Yeah. I'll mow it tomorrow. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm holding him to it today. I love so it. I I'm waiting for the day when one of my sons can mow the lawn. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. Just because they're of the age to mow the lawn doesn't mean they'll do it, though. Oh, no, I'm going to wake them up just like they do me at 5.30, 6 a.m. and say it's time to mow the lawn. <laughs> I can't wait. Our I'm counting down that. the days. Oh, All right, so we're, we're killing time to give you time to think about what questions you might have of a general yeah. nature. We are, we're doing open mic today, so you can call about, um, about any um, general women's health issue or concern. Um, and if, for our, our male listeners, if it doesn't necessarily pertain to women's health, but you just have a health question, you can definitely call in. Um, kind of as a background, I think uh, Dr. Brown and I decided that we were going to chit-chat a little bit about screening tests for women. And um, also maybe some of the things that people might encounter um, when they hear about perhaps maybe uh, something that was detected or an abnormal screen and kind of what the follow up may be or what kinds of things to expect. Because, um, you know, we there are lots of recommendations about screening and about um, prevention. We hear a lot now being focused on preventative health care. And so screening for different types of illnesses is a common part of that. But then the next step is, you know, once you get screened, what happens if your screen is positive? What do those results mean? And kind of what are the next steps um, after you have received, you know, a positive screening result? Um, And so I think that that's something that uh, many people probably have a lot of anxiety about. And if you get over the initial fear or reluctance or hesitancy to get a test done, then once it comes back in uh, a way other than just negative or normal, then what are the next steps? So we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, talk about some recommended screenings for women and kind of help to sort out what tests are intended to serve what purpose and the difference between screening and diagnostic testing. I have a question right away which sort of pertains to that. At what age should a girl or young woman see a gynecologist for the first time? Well, um, so I don't know that there's necessarily a particular age per se. So usually what used to happen is that um, that introductory visit would be related to a pap smear. And um, the recommendations used to be that if you once you started becoming sexually active, that you would then start getting pap testing. The recommendations now are different. And so what the guidelines recommend now is that for most individuals, you don't start pap screening until 21 years of age. However, um, 
one of the things that I, I really would like to impress upon our listening audience and upon women is that a trip to a gynecologist or an OBGYN or a women's health professional um, does not necessarily have to be tied to a pap smear because there are lots of other things that we do besides just pap smears. So if you're talking about focusing on women's health, it can be related to menstrual cycles. It can be related to um, issues about changes that are occurring in your body, whether it's, you know, menses with puberty or changes. It can be related to hair growth, all kinds of things. So I think that... um, in the in the early teen ages, it's a really great opportunity to have that initial visit and establish a relationship with a women's health um, provider. Um, and then from there, determine what type of follow-up is most appropriate based on whatever concerns uh, they may have. So some of those... Um, Initial visits, especially if they're happening during teenage years, may sometimes be done initially with a pediatrician, and the pediatrician may say, hey, it would be really great for you to talk to. For instance, if a young teenager has started her period Mm -hmm. and she's suffering from severe cramps, I mean, enough that she has to, you know, miss school for a day or Mm -hmm. two. Is that reason to come see you? Yes, absolutely. That is a that is a a very reasonable um, reason. And and in some instances, the relationship with your physician may also just be something that helps to accentuate or accompany that parental relationship. Right. So if a young girl starts her menstrual cycle, um, some parents may feel better having the input of a physician to help to explain some of those some of those processes to their children and to answer their questions from a medical perspective. Um, so absolutely, if they're having cramps or even if they're not and you just want to get more information and have somebody else to give a different perspective, um, then that's another good reason to bring them in for that initial contact. As a gynecologist, uh, how do you feel about, you know, a lot of women probably most, I would think, treat their GYN as their primary care physician to take care of lots of things, blood pressure, screening, and things like that. Uh, Is that something that GYNs generally feel comfortable with or... Yeah, so I and we, likewise, family practitioners sometimes do GYN exams. Absolutely, right? that which is why I kind of broadened it to not just OBGYNs, but just saying when people who practice women's health, they're adolescent gynecologists. There are um, pediatricians who have an emphasis in adolescent medicine, and so they can help with some of those um, issues and concerns. And so between the the traditionally primary care, like people think of family practice, internal medicine, pediatrics. Um, fortunately, OBGYN falls in that category. We do receive training on um, primary care type issues. So we are capable of taking care of those things. Um, most of us, however, focus on um, things that are related to women's reproductive health in general. And so um, even if we may identify or diagnose some of those issues, we typically will work in concert with another physician to kind of help with the management of those things. Um, but there are definitely um, providers who feel very comfortable, you know, initiating therapy, giving people recommendations for for many of the common uh, chronic medical illnesses. Probably in small towns in in Mississippi and elsewhere, you know, you might have less 
practitioners and yeah. kind of they have to do double duty. Absolutely. They're um, they're well, we, everybody knows, I think, um, that we have a physician shortage in our state, which is interesting because we're not a very populated state. Anyway, there are not a lot of people in Mississippi, about three million people in our whole state. Um but yet there's still, because we're a very large state and kind of spread out, and overwhelmingly the majority of um, our state is rural, so it's really difficult for some people to have access to a lot of different physicians offering a wide variety of services. And so what usually happens is that these physicians who work in these smaller towns, a lot of times they do, they do, you know, not just what most people would attribute to their little part of the world, but they broaden their practice to be able to meet the needs of the communities that they serve. And now telemedicine is becoming a big thing. It is. But of course... You can't do a gynecological examination well, yeah. via telemedicine. I, I will tell you. So there's a there are, however, a lot of applications for um, telemedicine um, to help kind of bridge the gap that exists in people with respect to distance as a barrier. Um, but yeah, nothing takes the place of actually just being there and being able to put your hands on someone. Um, there are lots of things, however, that you can, you might be able to see um, while there's another individual that may be present with the patient to assist in the management. So there are definitely some benefits, but um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you have the opportunity, you'd much rather be able to kind of do the exam yourself if you can. On that note, we're taking our first break. And we invite your calls. Again, it's open topic day. If you have a question about anything having to do with your health or uh, a family member or a loved one somewhere, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. If you'd prefer, send us an email. The address is women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to continue with screenings that might be important to you or someone you love here on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. standing member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. NPR journalist David Gilkey and Zabiullah Tamana died a year ago this week on assignment in Afghanistan. And now we have new information about what happened. This wasn't a random Taliban attack. They knew we were coming, or at least that Americans were coming. I'm Audie Cornish, returning to that day in Helmand Province this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org.
back on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens and Dr. Allie Brown. It is an open topic day. If you'd like to call with any kind of question, it could pertain to you, your own health. If you're a man, we'll take your questions too. Or if you have a question about uh, a wife or sister or daughter or whatever, uh, any questions, don't be don't be shy. Call in at one eight seven seven MPB ring. 877-672-7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org but we're also talking about screenings so my first question is regarding screenings what is the first screening test you should have like ever yeah, like ever. Well, you have them when you're born. Yeah, the newborn. Oh, yeah, guys, talk about the Hearing, Apgar. Thing. Thyroid, blah, blah. Why, why is no. it called Apgar, and what exactly is being oh, tested when you're born? So the Af- so Apgar is being, um, that's actually named after a person. So that's where it came from. It's named after Virginia oh. Apgar. She was a pediatrician, I believe. I think um, so. Yeah, and so that's kind of where the she devised or was one of the people who um, devised this scoring system to assess newborns at birth. Um, and so that's kind of where the name came from. So that's why it's called Apgar. It doesn't have any other... It's you not know, an acronym. Exactly. That's what I thought. Which is what most people think, that it, it's A-P-G-A-R that actually means something, but it it's a person's name. So All right, what's, cool. what, what's in that assessment? Well, they look at the different things like if the baby's crying, is the baby pink or is the baby blue, you know, things like that, and breathing type things. It's just, it assesses. So it's a, it's a visual, then you're not drawing blood right That's away. That's correct. It's completely a physical yeah. examination. Yeah. So, so the APGAR score basically takes um, different criteria and you get you get uh, you get points for these criteria, right? And you want to have a high score. Right, 10? It's, it's, like, it's like a grade in school. Some <laughs> medical tests you want to have a low grade and some you want to have a This is a high but grade But you one. know what? It's kind of funny because if you think about it, they, you, they use skin color. So we color the pulse rate, um, reflex, because, which some people call grimace. So looking at um, the baby's response to stimulation. And then um, their general um, activity or tone. And then respiratory effort. So if you think of it, it's kind of funny because you can make, you know, it's named after a person, but you can also make it an acronym because they it was retrofitted. Exactly. They so they they took her name and basically said appearance, pulse, grimace, activity and respiration. So um, you basically get a, a maximum of two points for each one of those five criteria. So perfect score, perfect 10, kind of like gymnastics. Um, 10 is perfect. Um, and it's just basically the sum of, you know, either zero to two points maximum that you get for each of those five different things. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes yeah. babies are born and they're not breathing so good. I mean, they might have some meconium or some fluid you know, that they aspirated or they might be kind of out of it and kind of sluggish. And so it's a way to assess 
how the status of the baby once it's born, and they look at what one minute and five minutes, or one and ten. Yeah. They do it two different times. Yeah, least. so they do it at one minute and at five minutes, five. and then if the if the number doesn't meet a specific threshold, then they can carry it out and extend it. So, um, one minute, five minutes, and then I think there's a ten minute, fifteen minute. So they continue to march it out based on you know until it gets to. I think you have to have a minimum of seven. I think they count it out till you get to seven. And is it just a matter of time, or are they going to rush the baby off to well, oxygen might determine or an something? Intervention. Well, yeah, it, it depends on kind of the circumstances around it. There are a, are a number of reasons why um, newborns or why, why babies can be born um, depressed or while, why they may not kind of be very vigorous at birth. Some of those are related to things that can transpire during the birth process. Some of them are related to medications that the mom may be given um, during the time that she is uh, laboring or delivering. Some of those may be related to medications that she must have in order to, say, offer protection against other things. Like uh, one of the medications that we use is magnesium sulfate for women who have problems with their blood pressure or preeclampsia. And um, so women need that magnesium sulfate in order to kind of protect them from more severe sequela of preeclampsia, for example, seizures. And that magnesium sulfate, while you're giving it to mom, it also affects baby. And so those babies who've been exposed to magnesium may not have um, as vigorous of a drive or desire to breathe. They may be a little sluggish to breathe. It also makes them uh, not quite have as great a tone as you might normally expect. So the babies kind of come out being a little bit uh, less vigorous when they've been exposed to magnesium sulfate in utero. So um, there are lots of different reasons why or different things that can affect those numbers. Um, And again, it's just a a scoring system that is utilized for the pediatricians to kind of eyeball babies at birth and do a rapid assessment of them in the immediate period following their delivery. When my son was born, my firstborn, and I don't know whether this was discovered during APGAR, but he was rushed off because the ductus in his heart didn't close. So he had to go into oxygen right away and other things, IV, and I don't know what. And that's but, something that can be associated with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And he, and, yeah, and he has Down syndrome. And he was in the hospital for three weeks in intensive care because they had to keep, you know, they wanted to do it with drugs as yes. opposed to surgery. On the yeah, way. And, and usually and they'll give working. you medications um, that can, so there are medications that we know that can affect the ductus, either medications to keep them open or medications that can, you know, help them close All right. or well, constrict them. We have a phone call. Diane is calling in from Jackson. Hi, Diane. Hi. Um, yes, I'd like uh, y'all to kind of go over our, our talk about the the healing effects of garlic, garlic oil, um, especially, you know, for ear infections in young children and, you know, the importance of maybe staying away from antibiotics that young. Um, so if you could kind of touch on that, I sure would like to hear about it. And I'm going to hang up and listen to y'all. Okay? Thank you, Diane. Okay. I think really the I've not heard of it for ear infections. I know the things that has been pos they say it's possibly effective for like treating heart disease, uh, colon cancer risk reduction. Some research has shown maybe in association with lowering blood pressure. Um, ringworm I've seen. Yeah, and then fungal type things like jock itch, athlete's foot. Um, well, yeah, there. You know, it's for a long time. Um, 
it's the benefits of of garlic in general <clears throat> and also garlic oil have been touted. I have um definitely seen reports of people using um using garlic oil for treatment of ear infections again you know when we talk about we should probably do that one day do just Putting a show on doing a show of um on holistic mm-hmm. um or kind of like non-traditional therapies um while this is not something that i i could definitely recommend i do know that people have reported using that to um to decrease or to as a treatment for ear infections now the issue i think that is kind of concerning is just that you know with ear infections most of them overwhelmingly especially in young children are related to bacterial infections and so you want to just be very careful um in allowing and not um addressing a bacterial infection with something that is going to be specific to that particular um, organism because the thing is to make sure that whatever that organism is that you eradicate it. Now, we know that, for example, penicillin was derived from you know, from mold. It was a natural, it's a, a natural occurring. Bread mold. Yeah, it, but it was still something that occurred in nature. And so there are um, different substances in nature that have the capability to treat or to kind of suppress bacterial growth. We know that happens. Um, As a matter of fact, we manipulate the things that help to promote bacterial growth and inhibit bacterial growth in the lab all the time. I'm sure you could talk about that from a pathology standpoint. But um, the most important thing is just making sure that if if there's an ear infection, you know, even if you're using something that you know may have an inhibitive property, you want to make sure, especially in kids, that you have that whatever it is that you're using is going to be something that's going to eradicate that particular bacteria. Well, here's the thing. Most ear infections in children occur in the middle ear, so that's behind the eardrum. So if you're putting something into the ear canal, it's not getting there to where the infection is. That Which would be is my first important concern. That, that would be my first comment. My second comment is anyone that's cooked with garlic and chopped up a garlic clove, and if it gets on like something on your skin, it burns. It burns. Yeah. So don't mince up garlic and apply it to something. It could it could damage and burn your skin. So mm-hmm. I think this caller was referencing garlic oil. I'm less familiar with that. But garlic can be an irritant for sure. I mean, it definitely burns. So be very careful. But regarding ear infections in children, we know that antibiotics are effective in in eradicating infection. And yes, there is has been talk about overuse of antibiotics and that mm-hmm. that is a reality. And you have to be careful about that. You have that. to be careful mm-hmm. and make sure that they are indicated that there truly is an infection and that that course of antibiotics is completed, you know, that you don't just stop taking it after a few days because the child feels better. That can cause resistance if you don't totally kill the organism. Now, yeah. you've heard, I'm sure you've heard of putting salt in a sock or something and putting that on your ear. You've never heard of that? As a so we're both looking socks. for pain, for yeah. pain. It's a, are, you've heard of a poultice to put that on an yes, ear? Yes, no, okay. I've heard about poultice. Well, I've heard yes. that a sock. <laughs> like, oh, you bring it. It doesn't have to be a sock, but something you can put salt in. You warm it up, and you put that mm-hmm. on your ear, and it's supposed to. I'll say taking a salt bath, pain. I guess, if you have a muscle soreness. Well, yeah, I but you know, and it's the con- it's the same concept up. about gargling with uh, warm salt water, yeah. and again, that has the that's about you know that 
that situation, um, what you create in your by the warm salt water actually kind of diminishes or decreases and makes it harder for bacteria to grow and flourish. So that's kind of the mechanism or the thought process behind it. But what the caller did say that I think is really important is um, going back to this issue of being very prudent with antibiotics. And I think that's something that um, whether it's with children or with adults that we can all um, take take heed to because it's really important especially now with all the different medications that we have available that we are very prudent about how and when we use um, antibiotics and how many of us have said oh I have this horrible cold it's not going away I'm not getting well fast enough I need some antibiotics well colds are caused by viruses and if you don't have a bacterial infection then antibiotics are not going to make it better and so just because you may have a protracted course doesn't necessarily mean that antibiotics are the right thing for you. And it is very difficult, I think, sometimes for physicians to convince people that they don't need antibiotics. Um, or some people say, well, this is just like what I had last time. And I took that z pack, and man, I got better. It happened to yeah. get better. Oh, exactly. I was sick and sick. And finally, my doctor gave me a z pack, and it cleared up. Well, pro- probably was going to clear up anyway at that point, right? Yeah, and, and there's definitely something to be said for the belief that you have in the therapy working, because we talk mm-hmm. about how important it is, your mindset and what you believe in, you know, your overall health and the implications thereof and how that influences it. And I think sometimes there's also this thing called a placebo effect, right? You give people sugar pills, it doesn't have any effect, and miraculously whatever it was that they were complaining of gets better. So, And I think that there is a, there is a pressure, at least perceived by some physicians, to do something for a patient. The yeah. patient feels like if mm-hmm. they didn't leave with a prescription that the doctor didn't do something, and that's something that our profession has to fight against. Yeah, and sometimes... sometimes if you if you feel the 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 pressure to do something the one thing that i would encourage is just if you feel the need to do something at least do something that's not going to do harm and the something that you feel compelled to do i don't think any of us want to do the wrong thing yeah. and that's the thing that you have to really be Anytime careful about you give a drug or anything you yeah, could but, be I mean, harming the patient True. but you know it's it's great we're going to have to do this so we're going to we're going to talk about at some point you know home remedies and other therapies that people have employed that really work well um you know, that may not be the traditional medications, because I think now there are lots of people who want to go to a much more naturopathic type um, of experience or who want to incorporate some of those things in order to optimize their health. And um, so there's definitely, I think, a place for that. Um, but I think sometimes you just have to be really careful about um what works and what doesn't. And unfortunately, in a lot of these um, more natural processes, we don't have a lot of hard science to really back them up to make very strong recommendations about them. We need to take a break. If you want to give us a call, we're not talking just about screenings. If you have a general health question or a specific health question, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 And we'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio.
Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. You already know MPB Think Radio is a direct result of donations from listeners like you. But instead of counting the size of your donation in dollars, how about axles? Trucks to motorcycles, cars, even 18-wheelers. Your donated vehicle of any size helps fund the programs here on Think Radio. For more information on how to donate your vehicle, visit mpbonline.org support. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. Kevin's about to shake us up. Kevin is calling in from Biloxi. We're taking general calls today, and this, I think, fits that category, although it's a specific question. Hi, Kevin. Don't ruin the mood, Kevin. Come on. (laughs) Say it smooth. Ask it smooth. Ask it smooth. (laughs) What's your question? I've been accused of satisfying a few women in the mood. Oh, wait. Hold on there, Kevin. All right, all right, all right. right. G-rated show. We're on a delay, Kevin. Look up. Recently, while while strolling or looking over a farm, a old stray barn cat came and just wrapped its tail around my short or around my leg, which I was wearing shorts, so it hit bare skin. But a day later, I noticed this red ring on my leg. I thought back about that cat's tail, and it hit me. I had ringworm. I went to the pharmacy. The pharmacist recommended name a name brand antifungal cream. I used it for over two weeks, nothing, absolutely nothing. So I talk, I was talking to my great aunt who said that when she was a child and she got ringworm because they always had cats around their house, her, her mother would take clear fingernail polish and coat it for about two days, coat her skin for two days. And the ringworm would just disappear because it starved it for oxygen. So I got my wife's clear fingernail polish, coated coated the ringworm for two solid days. About the third day, the skin underneath that fingernail polish looked horrible. I mean, it was a dark purple color. Because your skin also was (laughs) devoid of oxygen, yes. (laughs) I removed it, and 
the ring had disappeared completely. Now, now my leg is clear as it was. So, antifungal creams are good, I suppose, but old wives' tales are better. <laughs> now, what do cats have to do with ringworm? Oh, you get it from a, yeah. You do about that. Okay. First of all, tell me the truth. Is this Jesse Ventura? That's what I thought. You sound just like Jesse Ventura. Tell me the truth. Is it you, no, Jesse? I am not. I'm Kevin. I'm Kevin from Biloxi. All right. Well, we have uh, Kevin. Thanks so much for calling and for sharing that. You're quite welcome. I think that that is pretty cool. You know I'm, what else is good for chiggers? You can put that on your. Please tell me you know what chiggers are. Yes, of <laughs> course. Aren't they little red? Aren't they little yeah, red? They get under yes. skin. We when call you them red the bugs. And, and now Polish works on them as well. Gets well, rid of them. I would Kills just them. say, just be I'm careful because it's all you it, know who Jesse Ventura is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> are you kidding me? The body? I was just saying, it, it well, does irritate, it does irritate your skin. It Wait does irritate your skin. He was the governor of Minnesota. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, I so, still think that was Jesse, by the way. No. <laughs> I think that was awesome, though. That's the immediate thought I had. Just- no, but, you know, like, some of the home remedies that they talk about for, um, for ringworm, like... Dr. Brown said garlic is one that has been discussed has been discussed and again you have to be really careful about um, And just so you know ringworm is not a worm. No. People it may think this is ringworm. There, it's now there worm. are worms called roundworms, but roundworms are yeah. not to be confused with ringworm. Ringworm is a fungal infection. Um and you know it's the reason that they call it ringworm is cuz it typically has a a round or a ring type appearance on the skin. Um other things that are home remedies that people have used are like apple cider vinegar, um vinegar and salt, um lemon lemongrass tea, lavender oil, those kinds of things. People have also said that they've used um but um you know, I've had really good experience with just recommending um, the the antifungal creams. Um, the problem that most people have is that you know these these um, these infections, these fungal infections, are pretty difficult to treat. So um, now you know a lot of the creams are available over the counter. Um, but you still have to apply it pretty regularly and it takes a couple of weeks for it to go away. It's almost like, um, if you think about treating, um, athlete's foot, which is also a fungal infection of your feet. Um, or if you happen to have a fungus in your nails or in your toenails or what have you, fungal infections just typically take a lot longer to fully eradicate. And if they um, affect the skin or the nails, um, then it usually takes a lot longer to get rid of them. And I think that's one of the things that concerns people about, you know, whether or not it's really working. Um, But you just have to kind of stay at it and understand that the period of treatment is usually going to last a little bit longer. And be careful about applying an irritant like nail polish or something to your skin, especially like I would not do that on my child. So people listening, I would not recommend like putting clear nail polish on my child's skin because it can break it down. You can get an infection on top of it. And it does. The creams are more gentle. It also it also depends on where it's Mm, located. Absolutely. Because we we have skin of varying thickness in different places on our bodies. 
And so, for example, the skin that covers your lips or the skin on your face is very different from the skin on your elbow. That's also different from the skin on the bottom of your feet or on the palms of your hands. And so because of that, and when we get a chance to talk to our dermatologists in, um, in the upcoming week, um, we'll probably get a chance to talk a little bit more about skin. But because of that, different areas of your body, you have to be mindful. One thing that goes on the skin in one place can't necessarily go on the skin in another place. And so you may get very different reactions depending on where you may apply something. And and people do get ringworm on their face. They get it on their scalp. It can cause hair loss. Um, these fungal infections can occur anywhere. Um, they can occur in the groin. They can occur underneath the breast. Um, if you happen to... Um, have a, a little extra tissue across the middle. It can occur in any of your folds. So anywhere that you have folds on your body, whether it's near your thighs, in your around your bottom, any extra folds or like extra folds of skin. moist spaces. Yes, exactly. <laughs> where it's just like... Yeah, where it's warm and dark. Like any kind of fungus would grow, yeah. you know? Just, yeah. You know, when you say fungus, all I can think of are those toenail ads where they show the most horrible toenails. Yeah. And it, but the interesting thing is, so we know what mold looks like and fungus looks like when it grows on other things. We know what molded wood looks like and we know what, you know, molded bread looks like. But we get fungal infections as human beings, and it doesn't look the same way, but it can be very irritating. They, it's usually very itchy, um, and it does. It can, it can be very, um, just very irritating, and the areas can get very inflamed. Um, but eradicating them can be done whether it's with the home remedy or with the, the creams, but it usually takes um, a good bit of time in order to get them resolved. Let me get the phone number out. We're taking your general health questions today at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. You guys wanted to talk about screenings. Yeah, we hadn't got to that and yet. And there are two really important <laughs> it's open ones. Mic. It's open mic. Two really important ones I know you want to address. So, Dr. Brown, do you want to start with breast cancer mammograms? Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to talk about kind of what to expect from uh, when you get a mammogram. And pancake house. <laughs> the pancake Pink house. Pancakes. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, women get screening for breast cancer, or they should at least. They, it's recommended starting at 50, but many folks go ahead and have it at 40. Yeah. Well, it depends and, also on your family history. And, and it that. depends on, on who's doing the recommending, because we don't all agree. There's not consensus on when it should happen, but the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommends that, you know, you get your initial one at 40. Um, and you know, the latest uh, recommendations that came out from the uh, USPSTF, the Preventative, Preventative Task Services Force. Task mm -hmm. Force, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force are the ones that I think you're making reference to that have actually said, hey, we should push this back to 50. Um, and then if you are a person who has a family history of uh, breast cancer, especially if it was premenopausal breast cancer, breast cancer in a first degree relative or in your mom or your sister or whomever that occurred when that person was still having menstrual cycles before they actually went through the change of life, then usually it's recommended 
that you would start your screening with mammograms earlier. And usually it's within about two years of the time frame in which that individual was diagnosed. Um, so it's not like a broad brush. Everybody gets yeah, the same the thing. Out. Yeah, your history um, definitely impacts that. But it's... Um, it is a very important screening. I think it's probably one of the most publicized um, cancers that affects women. It also affects men. Um, and so for that reason, we just kind of wanted to go over with some people what what it entailed and kind of what, peop- what we were looking for and kind of what the process is after um, you go through that experience. All right, we, we need do- to take a phone call. Mikey is calling in from Mobile. You have a comment about chiggers, Mikey? I got questions about chiggers. I have a comment first, though. I've had chiggers. Um, uh, it was some time back, quite some time back. Uh, and that was at um, uh, a party that, um, that it happened. Um, but I realize now that I'm, and it was so bad that, um, you know, people recommended, okay, we'll take a bath in baking soda. Okay, we'll take a bath in bleach. Well, I thought the bleach thing might be, you know, I got sensitive skin. I did try the baking soda. And then people, of course, told me put the um, the, the uh, nail polish on. Well, I, had, I, I was like polka dots, except that the dots looked like they were dripping blur- bruises. I mean, it was that bad. It was so bad that at my office job at the time that I had a moment where I had to actually clutch the wall in the hall because I felt like I was being overcome by the toxins. Fortunately, that was the worst of it. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I can't believe anyone should be taking a bath in bleach. Well, I can't either. Yeah. Um, But anyway, uh, now I am forced to work under what I realize are very similar conditions. Um, uh, And, uh, uh, I mean, volitionally forced, shall we say. Um, So, please, can you help me? So, do you have chickers now? I don't now. But I have not been in that particular place. But I have got to be in the next few months. I mean, over the next few months. Oh, so you're concerned that you're going to get them again? I want to do whatever I can to avoid having any kind of, you know, insect. You well, know. well, cover up, I would say. Use deep woods off or whatever, a oh, strong that's what I was insect thinking that something uh, repellent. Like that, what, a repellent would definitely probably do it, right? So um, you can do it using... Um, Deet, you know, if you need to, which is, you know, there's all this stuff about deet being bad. Deet is but great. You got to use it sometimes. Deet is good because it will also keep away your Zika. Okay. So, repellent will do the job, and we're going to take our last break of the hour. Um, if you want to give us a call, now is the time. It's your last chance at one eight seven seven MPB ring eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Hi, this is Grassroots host Bill Ellison. You know, after more than 20 years, you'd think I might have run out of Bill Monroe and Doc Watson songs to play. Well, not so. The bluegrass, acoustic, and folk music scene is vibrant with new names like Sarah Jarose and the Punch Brothers. There are always new stories from Guy Clark and Ramblin' Jack, and legendary bluegrassers Ralph Stanley and Del McCurry are still high and lonesome. And besides, I still find a song from Bill and Doc I've never played. Join me Saturday night at 8 for Grassroots on MPB Think Radio. 
Maybe you start your day with the news on Morning Edition and catch up later with All Things Considered, but the news doesn't wait. Stories evolve during the day in courtrooms, financial markets, on the streets, and at kitchen tables locally, nationally, and all around the world. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Each weekday, check in with Here and Now for the news as it is happening. That's Here and Now from WBUR and NPR News. Weekdays at noon on MPB Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women. We have some phone calls waiting on the line. <laughs> this show is turning into the Chigger Show. But before we get to those phone calls, Dr. Owens, you want to talk about a... Can we agree that taking a bath in bleach is not a good I would, idea? I will not Owens, recommend that ever. Okay, so Owens disagrees. You I think disagree. we should take a bath in bleach? No, I'm not saying you need to take a bath in bleach. I pour um, Clorox in the bath. No, 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 no. But, but this is something that's really important that I think that people may not always know. Um, so there is a solution that has been used for derm-type issues and complaints, and it's called Dakin Solution. And basically what Dakin Solution is, is it's bleach that has been very extremely diluted. And so while I would not recommend you dump out a whole gallon of bleach into um, a bath, um, there are instances in which um, for people who have different derm complaints that they you can kind of make your own Dakin solution basically by running a lot of water and putting a little bit of bleach in it. And um, it can, in instances, make those complaints better. So, again, we were talking about, you know, what exactly are medications? In many instances, they are, you know, professionally prepared preparations of things that are very common. So I would not encourage people to do it that way because I don't know how they would actually make sure that they have the right concentration. And because bleach is a very it's very irritating. You have to be exceptionally careful, which is why I think that this solution exists because somebody's already figured that out for you. Um, but basically what it is is diluted bleach. So I, I can understand where that's coming from. I'm just not saying that I think that, you know, we should all be pouring be- all right. bleach in our bathwater. All of our there phone lines are lit up, so we're going to go through all of them, and, and I can ask our callers, please, to keep it sort of brief. Olivia is calling in from Brandon. Hi, Olivia. Okay, so yes, I'm on the chigger. Um, <laughs> the chigger train. The, the chiggers have taken over the show. That's fine. Yeah, this is I great. Just to, yeah, I just wanted to clear up something and say, you know, I would think the best way to avoid chiggers is to use bug spray and, you know, just use bug spray. And then also, once you have the bite, they don't live in your skin, nor are they burrowed under your skin. That's a complete myth. Um, they inject an enzyme that causes, like a mosquito bite, it causes the to break down so that bite is your skin cells have broken down so that 
they could suck out the fluids, but that chigger is long gone. So all of this solution to get the chiggers out is not... That's a good idea. I mean, it's a good thing to know. Right, yeah. But because it's a little hard bump, I always thought it was the chigger taking up residence in my life. No, they don't live in your skin. Okay. Well, I'm glad for that, Olivia. (laughs) I appreciate your phone call. My husband sent a text because he works outside a lot saying, spray your shoes. All um, right, spray your shoes. Well, somebody else go. is calling about. Oh no, this is about red. No, let's see where are we? Avoiding red bugs. Nope, we're going to go to this call Dan? first. We're going to Dan. Dan, Dan or Dan? And Van Cleef. <laughs> yes, this is Dan and Van Cleef. Hi, Dan. Yeah, we're a very rural community out here, and listen, there's one way to avoid jiggers, and it's a real simple one, and it works, guaranteed. Medicinal turpentine can be bought at your pharmacy or can be bought at Fred's or the dollar stores. It's called medicinal turpentine. Wear a long sleeve shirt, put it around your waist, on your belt, just wipe it on your hand with a cotton ball, wrap it around the back of your wrist. Just wipe it on and you won't have any trouble with chiggers. Don't forget your neck, the back of your ears and things like that too if you're running through the bush. That's great, Dan. Medicinal turpentine. Medicinal right. turpentine and it works and it's cheap. Well, Dan's guaranteeing it. We appreciate all of our callers who call from um, some of the more rural areas who deal with this stuff all the time, who can kind of help make sure that we um, we get the best information out there. So thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, Dan. We're moving on because we're getting short on time. Camille calling in from Newton. Hi, Camille. Hey. Hey, how are y'all? We're Doing great. great. How are you? I'm great. I just have some good advice about avoiding the chiggers or the red bugs. I like to pick blueberries when they're in season, so I'm going to be in the bushes where all those red bugs are. And before I go, I strip down, spray everything with uh, bug spray. Then put my clothes on, spray those. Spray my boots inside out. And when I go, I don't get the bugs. When I come home, I immediately take a shower. And if I don't do that, I'm going to get red bugs. I've done this enough to know um, and like a, the earlier caller said, once they've bitten you, it's too late. You okay. Enjoy it. Thank awesome. you so much. We Thanks have to so move much. on because... Let's the answer. One more call with like 40 seconds to go. CJ from Port Gibson, go ahead, please. Hi. I was just wondering, uh, I have, used to have real severe step, uh, cramps uh, for my cycle and my OBGYN prescribed cycle then. And since then, my cycle has stopped completely and has not showed up for like... 10 years now. Okay. I'm just wondering, was that normal? Um, so they gave you baclofen, you said? Diclofen. Can you say it again? I'm sorry, I missed it. Diclofen. D-I-C-L-O-F-E-N. Oh, diclofen. Okay, and, and after you were started on that medication, you said they went away? The cycle went completely out. How old were you? How old were you? About 40. Okay, that's interesting because I think like diclofenac um, is a a non-steroidal, which is supposed to help with cramps. And that's actually a very appropriate drug to give. Um, It wouldn't it doesn't make sense to me that that would be the reason why you um, would stop. Have you had any menopausal symptoms at all? 
probably have. You know what, CJ, we have yeah, we it don't have any like time left. It just sounds like you might have gone into menopause a little early. CJ, if you want to send us an email, you can certainly do that, and um, and the doctors will answer your question. Absolutely. But we're, we're all done now. So uh, thank you for listening. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Today's show was engineered by Jay White, our call screener, Liz Gill. I hope you will join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. And stay tuned because NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.